This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Libby Hartfield, the retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, is out this week. She's gone uh, traveling west again. We're going to talk to her in just a minute, though. Uh, But to quote the celebrated naturalist Louis Agassiz, I spent the summer traveling. I got halfway across my backyard. Today, we're going to explore the backyard of our own celebrated naturalist, Joe McGee. Always ready to share, he's picked a few vertebrates and some invertebrates to discuss today. But as always, we want to hear from you about what you're seeing. And Dr. Major's ready for pet questions. To join the conversation, it's a phone call, one mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Always like to remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday, it repeats Saturday mornings at 6. So let's start out by saying good morning to Libby. Libby, it must be kind of early for you out there on the West Coast. Thanks for calling in. But you had an important announcement about one of the biggest uh, annual events uh, at the uh, at the museum. Oh, yes. Good morning. It is a little bit early and it's cool, 58 degrees here. But I did want to remind everybody of Snake Day this coming Friday. So um, tomorrow from 10 to 2 at the museum. There are events and there are lots of snakes up there for people to watch and uh, learn information about. But there's also an online component. So you can uh, get on Facebook or uh, get on the website for the museum and catch up. But I wanted to be sure and mention Snake Day because so many families go every year and I didn't want you to think you had to miss it this year. You can either go or you can join online. I think it's uh I would encourage people to go. You know, I don't I don't know that people have to be best buddies with snakes, but I think if you go to a snake day uh and and get an up close view of the snakes and even maybe try to uh, you know, pet one or feel one a couple of times, you, again, you won't be best buddies with snakes, but maybe it'll eliminate some of the the fear uh that you have of snakes. Uh so it, and it's amazing to me also uh, the variety of snakes that they have, you know, little little small snakes to the very big ones. So to me, uh, the year I went, I really enjoyed it. And again, it helped me kind of lose that uh, sort of natural fear uh, of snakes. Uh, so let me, ha- how long have you been out there? What What are you seeing out on this trip? Okay, let's see. Oh, well, in fact, I might address some of Joe's questions. I do miss my backyard in Mississippi, though, very much. Um, but M.M. enjoying the yard here, and he asked about the chickadees, and we do have uh, black-capped chickadees, uh, just daily visitors. They're all around us, and very similar to our uh, Carolina chickadees. They're a little bigger, and they're, they're, uh, their song's a little slower, and they're a little deeper voiced, but um, very similar and fun. And I've seen the mountain chickadees a little bit. And uh, they're also pretty neat. And he asked about gray jays, and I do occasionally see gray jays out here. But I see Stellar's jays. Again, that's a daily thing. We see Stellar's jays and Western scrub jays. And um, sometimes the the black-billed magpies we see a little bit further east 
of here and um, in more deserty climates, but we do see uh, black-billed magpies sometimes here. And he said, Joe's going to talk about uh, all kinds of cool things you can find in your yards. And, um, oh, he sold my heart with that rhinoceros beetle, though. That was one of my favorite insects uh, as a younger person and um, loved to find them in Mississippi. And I guess I'm going to have to go on the hunt out here and see if we have rhinoceros beetles out here. I bet we did. You know, sometimes in this day of smartphones, when you see something and think about taking a picture but decide not to, and then later you kick yourself. Well, that happened with me is that when I was coming into work, uh, I think it was last week, you know, we got a couple of steps to walk up to in our courtyard. And on one of the steps, I saw uh, a cicada that apparently had just emerged from its old shell because you could see the the, the husk, I guess you'd call it, uh, but the the wings were almost... Uh, see-through and so it's obvious that he had just come out and was i don't know what the official term for what they do is uh but it was interesting and like i said I, it was one of those where oh i need to take a picture that I'm, i need to get into work but then a couple of days after that you think gosh i should have taken a picture of that because it was really an incredible thing so uh I, i'll know next time you know we tell everybody snap a picture of it snap a picture of it and i didn't even take my own advice so i'll i'll learn next time so i can get uh, get that picture made uh yeah so let me. Uh, how long will you be out to, in uh, out on the west uh, for this trip? Oh gosh, I'm going to be here through September, so I'll just have to make occasional calls to you guys, and uh, but I'll be listening every time, and I always get the podcast so that um, I can catch up with what's going on back home. All right. Well, enjoy your trip out west, and we will look forward to checking in with you and see how things are going. Okay. Good All to right. talk to you. All right. Thanks. Uh, Dr. Major is with us and a couple of pet stories in the news. This first one says roughly 23 million American households acquired dogs and cats during the pandemic, according to a recent survey from the ASPCA. The vast majority of them are still in those homes. Good news. But many of the animals have not been properly trained and are now being left alone as people return to the office. Lots of stories online about dogs messing up backyards and furniture and shelters are at capacity. So, Dr. Major, first of all, I would say, you know, we talk on the show a lot about, you know, do your homework before you get a pet of any kind because they're a lot of fun, but they're a lot of responsibility as well. Uh, But what about the situation? Would you have any advice for pet owners if they find themselves sort of under the gun and overwhelmed about trying to take care of that new pet? Right. This is is a real problem, Uh, and it is real. Uh, A lot of times, I guess, because of the fact that People were somewhat quarantined or shut down and at home, doing work from home, some of them. Uh, they would take in a pet and maybe not know exactly what they were going to do with it. Uh, good training is al- always important. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of dogs need to be crated when you're not there. I know that sounds bad, but at the same time, it saves a lot of wear and tear on your house, but also... Most of the dogs uh, really get used to doing that. Now, there's some dogs that rebel and will try to tear the crate up. But uh, outside, a little bit more difficult. And a lot of these dogs need some actual discipline-type training, uh, leash training, heel, sit, stay. All those things help to uh, make the pet a little bit more, what should I say, amenable to uh, you know, just being a good pet. So you've got to be a good pet owner as well. Cats, uh, they're a little different. Uh, They generally uh, don't get into too much trouble. 
uh, when you're gone. I had something fell off the shelf last night, woke me up, and I'm not sure what it was. I couldn't find it. Maybe it was the cat that fell off. But anyway, uh, he's been ex- uh, the big cat's been exploring. He's about 16 pounds, and he may have he may have misstepped. Uh, but anyway, those are all things that you need to do. But uh, make an effort to certainly. Uh, get some training in, and uh, boredom is a big deal with uh, house dogs especially, uh, and try to enhance their, uh, what should I say, their surroundings. Uh, some dogs respond to having Animal Planet, or maybe not Animal Planet, but one of the dog channels or cat channels that they have now, and literally do watch TV. My littlest dog does. She sits up there on the bed and watches TV. Uh, let's get a a pet email in before our first break this one says i have a cat that goes outside to eat grass then she promptly comes inside and throws up this is a regular (laughs) habit is there something wrong with her she seems healthy otherwise should i bring her to the vet or supplement her diet with something she's predominantly an inside cat but enjoys a stroll in the garden during a sunny day i do not use chemical sprays in my yard dr major any thoughts that last uh, statement is very good because uh, our dogs and cats will eat grass. They crave it. There's a whole host of reasons why people say that uh, uh, dogs or cats will eat the grass, and a lot of times they will throw it up. Uh, they crave a certain amount of roughage. Maybe there's roughage in the diet. Of course, cats have a very concentrated diet usually. It's uh, much uh, more concentrated than our canine diets, but uh, throwing up is not an unusual thing. Some people believe that uh, grass will actually kind of scour the system out, uh, that they crave it for the phytonutrients in grass, which we don't really know what grass will have phytonutrients in it that would benefit the cat. Uh, And if you watch, they'll usually go pick out a certain type of plant uh, to, to eat. So I, as far as taking this cat to the vet, as long as it's healthy, eating, stools are normal, I don't think this cat needs to go see the vet at this point. All right. Uh, it's time for our first break of the hour. When we return, we'll talk with biologist Joe McGee about his backyard observations. Also, Dr. Major is ready for your pet questions. We'd like for you to join our conversation this morning with questions and comments. Our phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Each week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio. Or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. We're back on Creature Comforts. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major. And our guest for the day is naturalist Joe McGee. Join our conversation with your phone call. A question or comment is uh, what we're looking for at one eight seven seven mpb ring The phone number is one 672 7464 You can email the show, send it to animals at mpbonline.org. 
So good morning, Joe. Glad uh, to have you on the show with us again. What have you been seeing around your backyard recently? Lots of things. Uh, yesterday was particularly eventful. I have lots of cardinals in my yard. I still throw out a few sunflower seeds for them. And they have a distinctive chip note. I heard a chip note that was a little bit different, though. I thought, that's not a cardinal. And I went to the window and looked out, and some kind of bird flew out of a shrub into the middle of my driveway. And I got good looks at it, and it was a bird called a Louisiana water thrush. It's one that I don't normally see in the yard. They prefer bottomland hardwood forests and swamps and areas along streams. I see them at places like the Chunky River, along the Chunky River. But here was this... uh, Louisiana water thrush, a neat bird. It bob, they bob up and down like a sand, like some of the sandpipers do. Got my binoculars, got really good looks at it, and then I thought, ha, huh, maybe I could get a picture. Now, I'm not much of a photographer, especially bird, birds are very difficult to photograph. Of course, by the time I got my camera, the bird was gone, but I thought, I'm going to seek out that bird. So I go to the area where I think it might be, and on the way to the bird, or what I hoped would be the bird, I encounter a black racer, one of our snakes, snakes day, snake day is tomorrow. It's kind of interesting that I would see this snake that day. And it did accommodate me. It, it, I took a number of pictures of the black racer, sent them to Tom Mann at the museum, and he thinks that snake is in poor health. He noticed that it was, uh, seemed to uh, be malnourished. I didn't pick up on that, but he did. He and he's been on this, this program. He sent my photograph to Terry Vandeventer, who's the snake expert in the state, and he agreed with Tom that there's something wrong with that snake. I don't know what. There's plenty for it to eat around there, frogs and toads and katydids and so forth. Got to thinking on the way over here, maybe that snake has a parasite. That's speculation on my part. I don't know for sure. But I do know when I was doing programs for the museum, I was down in Wayne County one day doing a program at a school there, and it was time for the snake to come out, and I had the snake out, and I was talking about the gray rat snake, and it died in my hands. <laughs> what to do when a snake dies in your hands? So I just carried on, and so a student said, your snake looks looks bad or something, made some comment. I mean, there's no hiding this, you know, you can't. So anyway, when this, that was the last program of the day, fortunately. And as I leave, I called Georgia Spencer, my supervisor, and told her what had happened. And I barely got home before Terry Major showed up. He was the uh, snake person at the museum at that time with a new snake for me. And he took the, he took the dead one. He said, I think I know what the problem is. He, he said, I think it has a parasite called spiny headed worms. And sure enough, they did an autopsy and that was what the problem was. So maybe that's what was wrong with my black racer yesterday. We're going to be visiting with naturalist Joe McGee throughout the hour on creature comforts this morning. And we've got some open phone lines. If you'd like to join in with a question or maybe a comment on what you've been seeing in and around your yard uh, this time of year, one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Email animals at mpbonline.org. Joe, earlier uh, before the show came on, we were talking about how some of us humans are getting maybe a little tired of uh, all of the rain that we've been having. But you uh, talked about some other creatures that actually are enjoying this wet weather. Yes, that would be the amphibians, mm-hmm. especially the frogs. Uh, last night, I stepped out on my driveway, and I could not, well, I could believe it, but because I've heard it before, but it was really amazing. Green tree frogs calling from every direction, just surround sound, literally. Uh, that was the main frog that I heard, the main species I heard, but there were also gray tree frogs calling. 
And one I had not been hearing in my immediate area, but I did hear them last night, the uh, eastern narrowmouth toad. That's the one that everybody laughs about when you, because uh, it, it's possible to imitate the call that that frog makes. It just goes, meh. <laughs> it sounds like a, a sheep bleeding in the distance, perhaps, or it's a nasal meh. Um, so again, remind us of why the, the the frogs are calling. What are they telling each other? The frogs that you hear, those are male frogs, and they congregate at uh, sources of water, water-filled depressions. You know, all the rain we've had, every ditch has got water standing in it, every little depression, and they congregate at these and call to attract females to come on down, uh, and they mate, and the eggs in the water and hopefully the water doesn't dry up before the eggs have time to hatch and the tadpoles develop and uh, we have more frogs. So we mentioned that uh, you brought some uh, or wanted to share a couple of invertebrates. Uh, before we talk about those, help us uh, remember our, uh, our basic science, uh, biology. What is an invertebrate? An invertebrate is an animal that does not have a backbone. Okay. And a vertebrate is, of course, one that does have a backbone. We are vertebrates. Humans are vertebrates. And sometimes those backbones give us a lot of trouble. Yes, but that's another story. They can, they can and do. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, talk about the millipede. Well, uh, I believe it was Sunday night. I step out on uh, my carport and want to get in rain. And, and uh, rain brings out a lot of things, and it brings out this large millipede. I don't know exactly what species it is, but it's harmless. I picked it up, and it emits a very fragrant aroma. It's not unpleasant at all. It's a somewhat fruity aroma. Uh, I, I don't know exactly. What, is it like a mixture of fruits? I assume this is a defense mechanism that perhaps something that might eat the millipede would not like this nice aroma. But this is a mil, this millipede is about two inches long. That's big for a for about the length of a cigarette mm-hmm. and about the diameter of a cigarette. So when I was growing up, I was taught that these were called thousand-legged worms. <laughs> they have they have a pair of legs or two pair of legs on every um, segment, so they appear to have a thousand legs. Not really a thousand, but it looks like it. Uh, so what is the what about the appearance, coloration, and that sort of thing? It's a golden. These are golden brown color. I emailed Java a photograph. Maybe uh, I could put it online for folks to see. Uh, I'll bet there are people out there, listeners, who have seen this this same millipede. They're not rare, uh, but you see them a lot after a rain event. At least I do. Would it be unusual that uh, an odor that we perceive to be pleasant would be used as a defense mechanism? Uh, Yeah. uh, It's probably unpleasant to something, to whatever eats the millipede, which might be a snake, uh, and you know snakes have a very good sense of smell. Uh, it could be very unpleasant. Think about it. cat food that you buy. T- at least to me, the dry cat does not smell good, but the cats love it. There's an aroma that we don't like. The cats do like. Uh, and the cats will be repelled by a, a mine anyway, or repelled by a minty smell, toothpaste. Mm-hmm. Do, are your cats that mm-hmm. way? They don't like uh, mouthwash or toothpaste. Fragrant to us, un- unpleasant to cats. So, so yeah, I think something that we would find nice, pleasant, uh, would be unpleasant to some things. And maybe it's an overly, o- overly sweet smell that might, you know, because that's yeah. Even when I think when humans eat or something, if something is way overly sweet, that's almost as bad as yeah. as not being sweet enough. Yeah, too much of a good thing. Uh, what about the ox beetle? Oh, boy. That was an event recently. Uh, 
I was, it was late at night or about 9, 30, 10, and I heard a loud humming sound, almost like a hummingbird. Well, hummingbirds are not nocturnal. And all of a sudden it hit a window screen and then everything was silent for a while. And then it happened again. And so I go outside with a flashlight and I found this huge beetle. I'd never seen Well, I thought I'd seen it before. I thought it was a rhinoceros beetle. I misidentified it. But to be sure, you can photograph an insect that you're not sure about and send it to Bug Guide. There's a website called, it's bugguide.net, I believe. And somebody there will help you identify uh, your insect. And somebody at Bug Guide identified my huge beetle. This thing is nearly two inches long, inch and a half for sure, as an ox beetle has a large, the reason I thought it was a rhinoceros beetle, it has a large horn, if you will, that projects from the middle of the head on this thing. And I thought, ah, this must be a rhinoceros beetle. But no, it's a closely related species called the ox beetle. Uh, Dr. Major, I'm guessing you have an ox beetle uh, specimen in your insect collection. Well, I have quite, quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, I do. Did you say yes? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, on the old Tonight Show, they used to always have a stump the band where people would call out song titles, and I forget uh, if the, the Tonight Show band could play it or not, but we, we're, we've got a new game going similar to that. It's can we stump Dr. Major and come up with an insect that he does not have a species of? <laughs> uh, actually, we've got a caller on the line, so why don't we say good morning to Alan, uh, who's calling in from Alabama. You're on the air with us, Alan. Go ahead. Oh, good morning to you, too. And this is my dilemma. Okay. I have on my house, back end is a 20-foot by 20-foot patio. And, of course, um, it's completely closed, the ceiling and the sides, of course, with vinyl siding and aluminum, have everything closed off. Then uh, it's white in color. And then at night, I have dozens upon dozens of little frogs that will come out of the crevices and they'll be all over this vinyl and then of course they leave droppings and stuff like that and they're a problem and I'm trying to figure out how to dispose of those frogs eliminate them clear out the problem and the only other thing I can think of is maybe to uh, get my big shot back out and vacuum them up from off of the uh Top of the patio is the only way I can figure out to get them because I don't know how to kill them and get rid of them. What do I do? Mm. You sort of asked the wrong person. <laughs> I would be happy to have them. Is your patio enclosed? Do you say it's enclosed? No, no it, it's wide open, but, you know, you have a one-foot uh, crown all the way around uh, that, that comes down from the ceiling all the way around the patio. And then, of course, uh, the, the brick house is attached to. It's not enclosed at all, but, but, but they come out of the uh, out, out of the uh, uh, from under the vinyl, and they'll be out there on the on the top on the white part, waiting for a bug to get. And of course, the the evidence of the frogs is all over the patio floor, and then they leave their deposits on the vinyl and everything. I'm constantly cleaning it up. When you say vinyl, is that a roof? Sort of a roof? No, you know how you have. Uh, vinyl siding on some people's houses yeah well instead of and and then on the patio for a floor and for a ceiling what they use is vinyl material like you put on the soffit of the house you know it's just like same material as vinyl siding so, but it's, it's designed yeah. for up underneath so the house instead up, of sheetrock yeah they're up 
off the ground. They're, they, I'm trying to determine if these are toads or tree frogs. They're up on the vinyl. That Yes. So I imagine that they're tree frogs, I guess. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and is, is it light? Do you have lights on at night? Well, we do turn the lights on at night. That's well, yeah. there, that's part of the problem. The lights are attracting the insects, and the insects attract the frogs. That's part of it. But uh, it sounds like you live in good tree frog habitat. Uh, I don't know a way to get I I don't. You see, this is something I never do. I never, I never get rid of frogs or toads. I I just always enjoy them. I understand your concern with the, their droppings. Mm-hmm. As, if you can sweep it up and put it in a flower pot, that's good fertilizer for your for plants. Uh, you may eventually get snakes. That, you know, snakes are a predator of frogs and toads. You may eventually get snakes to help you out, but they're not going to pick them off the way. You don't want any at all, I can tell. Try leaving oh, yeah. the lights off. Uh I, I realize you probably want lights on your patio, but that's that's part of it. The frogs yep. are coming to feed. They, you know, they if you if you build it, they will come, so to speak. And uh, okay. I, I don't know what else to say. Uh, I I hate to see the frogs in a shop vac. Well, uh, I'm afraid that's the only thing I've got left. Uh, so I've I've tried every other avenue. If you tried the lights off, try that, or leave them on for well, less for less time. Are the frogs up under the vinyl siding? Up? Yeah, they hide up under the vinyl siding in the daytime, and then at night they come out. Yeah. You know, they've got their little habitats up in there, so I think for maybe for other reasons I need to get rid of them also, uh, regular for hygiene and maintenance of the house. Oh, they're, they're no uh, hygiene problem, but uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, try leaving the lights off for more, more time. Leave them on for less time. Alan, also, you know, here we have the Cooperative Extension Service, and I, they have all sorts of useful information. So maybe uh, the whatever the equivalent of is Al- Alabama, your county agent or something, uh, they might have some suggestions for you. Uh, sorry that we can't give you any more, and, and good luck with that. I know that can be frustrating. Uh, it's, it's great to have nature around there, but, you know, it can be frustrating when those sorts of things happen. So sorry we couldn't give you any better advice, but hopefully uh, you can figure out uh, what to do with that, and we appreciate uh, your call this morning. This is Creature Comforts. We've got some open phone lines. If you'd like to chat today with our guest naturalist, Joe McGee, or if you have a pet question for Dr. Troy Major, uh, we are uh, looking for those questions and comments at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email animals at mpbonline.org. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, and our guest for the day is naturalist Joe McGee. You can join the conversation uh, by giving us a phone call. The number is one mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Email animals at org. If you missed any of today's show, you can always subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcast app, Search for Creature Comforts, or you can download the MPB Public Media app for your phone, and then you'll have access to all the local MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. Got some calls to get to, but before we do, Joe, we want to talk about one of the other things that you've seen. And I mentioned a cicada. Uh, what about swamp cicadas? Yeah, that's that's one of the common cicadas, and that's it. <laughs> I bet you every listener has heard this. Mm-hmm. Very common this time of July is the month for swamp cicadas. 
And you mentioned finding a cicada. Was it at your house? Or was it here? It was it coming it, in here on the through the courtyard? It just emerged. Mm -hmm. The term uh, used to uh, describe when an insect first leaves its nymphal state is is called eclosed. That cicada had just eclosed. E c l o s e. I found one like that at my house. It. It, it was further along than yours, but I thought it had died. Now, you'll find cicadas dead as summer progress. They just, you know, they live and die. And I find them from time to time on my driveway. I found this one ventral side up, upside down, in other words. I thought it was dead. Uh, picked it up, but its legs started moving, and so I knew it wasn't dead. But I took it inside for, to photograph it, put it under a jar lid, and had to do something. Came back, and it had crawled out from under the jar lid, very much alive. I got some good photographs, which I sent Java. And... Uh, uh, put it in a jar. I wanted to get, get a photograph of it attached to a tree trunk. By the time I, and I took it outside and put it on the tree trunk, and before I could aim my camera, it took off and flew. So, so it was in good shape. That let me know it had probably just eclosed. I used to want a childhood memory. Uh, I think when we lived in Texas, we used to grab the cicadas and you know hold them in our our palms so you could feel the uh, they, yeah yeah they're one of our uh, loudest mm -hmm. insects. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's uh, get some phone calls in here. We will start with uh, Teresa calling in from Red Banks. Good morning, Teresa. You're on the air with us. Hey, uh, I just had a comment for the previous guy who had the tree frog problem. Okay. Um, if he were to relocate his lights, like turn off his patio lights and put some solar lights out further away from his house, it'll relocate those uh, tree frogs and insects. I, I had a, we had a similar problem at our house, and I just moved uh, the lights, <laughs> and it worked. Okay, sounds like a good idea. Yeah, that's a that's a great idea. Worth trying. As, uh, as, as Joe suggested, the, the lights attract the insects, which attract the frogs. And, Teresa, you add, uh, which is a good idea, move the lights further out, uh, and then the insects and the tree frogs will be further away and maybe not on the patio. So great suggestion. Thanks for calling in and being part of the show this morning. We'll continue on next. It's Justine, who's called in from South Alabama. Good morning. You're on the air with us. Good morning. My question is regarding... Uh, whether or not there is anything or any things, I hope that there's more than one, to deter riverfront raccoons from invading your house. <laughs> a frog. I'm, no, I'm sorry, a, uh, a dog. <laughs> well, I got a couple, but they don't weigh, you know, 50 pounds between them, okay? <laughs> so, is that not a good thing? I mean, you need well, a big dog or what? I, you know? I think Dr. Major would recommend a Jack Russell, maybe. Well, I've got I've got one that's mistaken for a Jack Russell, but she's she's getting on an age. Um, uh, but the, ra the raccoons don't know that, huh? Well, I mean, they're both half Chihuahua, so you know. Right. I guess one of the questions I would have uh, would be food source. Are, are are you on the river itself? Yes. Okay, so. They just wander in. There's no food out uh, around the house, but they would be no, searching for food. Not. Yeah, absolutely right. Not. Be sure, be sure that your dogs are vaccinated, uh, for rabies especially. And I know you probably have them vaccinated, but I'm just saying uh, I would be concerned if they did get in a fight with a raccoon uh, or bitten. Uh, you want them to be protected. Oh, no, uh, they, no, they come to me and go, go beat up that raccoon, Mikey. I mean, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, blank that out, okay? Uh, <laughs> but no, uh, anyway, um, 
It may be the neighbors, okay? Are the neighbors putting something out to attract raccoons is my question. Well, you know, like we say, the, you know, if, 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 if the neighbors aren't as, as diligent with, you know, keeping the trash cans, you know, well sealed and that sort of thing, that might could do it. I mean, just because you're doing it, if someone in the area is not, that would certainly attract the raccoons, I think. So maybe maybe get together with a neighborhood watch and see if you can't uh, clean some things up, make sure that uh, to keep those little critters away. A neighborhood watch. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the call, Justine. Good to hear from you this morning. Let's move on. Our friend Kathleen from Osaka is on the line. Good morning, Kathleen. It's your turn. Go ahead. Well, uh, I've got to thank Teresa. She took the first part of my answer, move the lights. But here's a way to do it. One of those little camping lights that's battery operated, uh-huh. move it about 10 feet or 15 feet, and then move it another so. But in the same time, get something low, like uh, a trash can lid would be good and set the hollow side up, fill it with water, and put little branches or sticks around the edge of it so the frogs can get in and out, and they will go to that. And you move the trash can lid or a small swimming pool for the kids or whatever, whatever you can put your hands on. But they will travel out, and they prefer to be around coverage, you know, uh, shrubs and stuff like that, plants, um, just go ahead and start with the portable light and then some sorts of water. An old trash can lid would work fine. Upside down, water in it, at least 10 feet away to get them motivated, and then go ahead and keep moving it out. It wouldn't hurt if he turned on the lights very late at night or had them on a timer or something if he could. It would give them time to adjust to moving to a different source for the water and light. All right, uh, Kathleen, thanks for the call. Joe, does that make sense maybe to make even more attractive for moving further away from the patio, that uh, water source? It does. In other words, she's suggesting moving the habitat away from his patio. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the patio is, the, the frogs find that to be good habitat. And, uh, yeah, I think that is a good suggestion. Both of those about moving the lights are, are worth trying. All right. Let's just stay on the phone lines. To Ruleville we go, and Arlene has called in. Good morning. You're on the air with us. Good morning. I am calling concerning the frogs on the patio. Okay. And we had um, an overabundance of frogs several years ago. And I'm not sure if this will be considered frog abuse, but we put down salt on our patio. And the frogs left. They left running, and we never saw them again and never had any more again. Maybe they told their family and friends not to come back there. Yeah, that's frog abuse. (laughs) Uh, Do you know, here's the interesting thing. We hear all these complaints about frogs. Can anybody tell me what kind of frog they're seeing? Uh, Probably most of us, it's frog. (laughs) Yeah, it was just just frogs, little tree frogs that hatched, well, not tree frogs, but just frogs that hatched out in the water in the backyard. We had an abundance of water there. They all hatch out in the water. Yeah, Uh, I know. Yeah, uh, I don't know what they were. Yeah. All right, uh, Arlene, thanks for the call. And, Joe, I mean, I guess the the, the theory, though, is good. Again, you're either, if you kind of spoil an area where they go for food or whatever, then they'll go somewhere else that it's easier to get to that. That's, that's right, yeah. And I think salt would do would do that for sure. If you put too much salt, you're going to kill your 
possibly kill your plants. I, I don't know exactly what, what her situation was, but when it rains, the salt will dissolve and wash into the soil, I suppose, and could kill nearby plants. So do you have a, a speculation as to what types of frogs maybe these folks the, are talking the about? The tree frogs that they're seeing are probably green tree frogs or squirrel tree frogs, possibly gray tree frogs. I don't see gray tree frogs that much on my house or right around the windows. It's usually green tree frogs or squirrel tree frogs that that I happen to see on my windows. And I would say the, if, if uh, I think his name was Alan, the guy that called in from Alabama, if, if he could possibly push the frogs further away from the patio, like we were suggesting with different lighting and then water source and such, I mean, it's beneficial to have the frogs around because they eat a lot of bugs. They do. They eat quite a few uh, pestiferous insects. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so, Arlene, uh, a good thought, uh, um, and it certainly seemed to work in, in your case. So we appreciate you calling in uh, and uh, ha- uh, sharing that suggestion. Did you uh, have something else you wanted to tell us? All right. Thanks, Arlene. We appreciate your phone call. Let's uh, move on. Next, we'll go to... D.L., who's called in from Macomb. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning. I have a patio, and I have uh, uh, potted vegetables on it, particularly the tomatoes. And I'm having problems getting ripe tomatoes because the birds are picking them before I can get to them. What's the solution? If that were my problem, I would try netting first some netting. Uh, and if you have a friend who works at a department store, you might see if they would give you a mannequin to put out uh, uh, and move it around. You know, in other words, a scarecrow. But I would try the netting, seriously, the netting first. Put some netting over your tomato plants. Yes, sir. I do appreciate it. Uh, be aware you. that you, you may get other things in the netting. Sometimes uh, a bird gets tangled in the netting and that will attract a snake <laughs> so beware well i tell you we just make some snake stew with the tomatoes <laughs> there you go, there you go. Uh, and dl before we let you go you might call in again tomorrow morning at nine is the gestalt gardener with felder rushing and he might have uh, some additional uh, options for you to help keep your tomatoes looking good so we appreciate your call uh, before we get away from uh, frogs, uh, you mentioned a couple of tree frogs, and, and two I don't think we've ever talked about before, and I love the names, the bird-voiced tree frog and the barking tree frog. Tell us about those. Yes, those are both really, to, in my opinion, really nice tree frogs. I am very doubtful that the f- calls we've had this morning regarding problem tree frogs are either one of those species. The bird-voiced tree frog is almost always found in a swampy situation, and it has... Uh, the sound of a bird is a very beautiful, probably the most beautiful frog sound of all our species of frogs. The barking tree frog, on, on the other hand, is one of our most beautiful frogs to look at, and its sound is like uh, a hound off in the distance, the baying of a, of a maybe a bloodhound off in the distance. Once you learn the sound of a barking tree frog, you'll never forget it. Uh, and they're really they're fairly common in, in South Mississippi, but all the way up to at least as far as the I twenty corridor, I know they occur because I've I've heard and seen them. Uh, and once again, I photographed a barking tree frog. I think I sent uh, Java a photograph of that if he wants to put that online. Yeah, and so all the show all the photos that uh, Joe took that he sent to Java, we'll post that as part of uh, the podcast. So that's something that you can uh, look for at uh, mpbonline.org when you search for creature comforts. 
Time for the last break for this hour. We'll be back. We'll wrap things up with our guest today, Joe McGee. Uh, we'll mention some of the birds uh, in Mississippi this time of year. Also, Dr. Major's still on the ra- line. If you have a pet question to get in touch with us this morning, it's a phone call, one eight seven seven mpb ring Call us at one 672 7464 Email animals at mpbonline.org. If you're print impaired, MPB's radio reading service is here for you. Our dedicated team of volunteers bring the world of news and entertainment to you. For information and to see if you qualify, call us at 601-432-6301. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and our guest today, biologist Joe McGee. If you want to join the conversation, you can give us a call. The number is one mpb ring it's one 7464 Email animals at mpbonline.org. So, Joe, we just got an email in with a picture, uh, and they wanted to see if they were properly identifying it. And uh, tell us what is in the picture. Yes, it's a lizard, and the lizard is on some little pots, these plastic pots that, you, that plants come in from the garden center. And it's instantly recognizable as an eastern fence lizard. You're right. Uh, they had they thought that's what it was. It must be fairly dry where you live. They love a dry habitat. Uh, if they can find pine trees uh, to crawl up, uh, they love to bask on on pine trees. And they're they're well camouflaged when they're on a pine tree. Yeah, they're pr- fairly common in Mississippi in dry. Habitats, not you don't find this one in the swamps and and around ponds and things like that. They like dry habitat. Eastern right. fence lizard. Mm-hmm. Uh, back to the phone lines we go. This time visiting with uh, Francis from Natchez. Good morning. You're on the air with us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I got a question, and I've been asking people, and I haven't got a suitable answer yet. I'm a I am an avid uh, average average uh, bass fisherman. I'd like to know why smallmouth bass are, no, are located in the north and there are none down here in the south. Somebody said because of the depths of the water. But over in Louisiana and some of the areas, you got 60, 70 foot of water. Uh, tell me why they're not located down here, please, sir. I, I don't know. I have, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm really sorry I can't answer that question. Uh, but I would be speculating if I tried to answer it. I don't want to you know, lead you astray. I don't know. Uh, I bet it has something to do with habitat, but uh, I'm I'm guessing. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Call us I, next I time. We'll, maybe we'll have the answer next time. We'll do a little cheating. Okay. And uh, Francis, I'd maybe con- con- uh, contact the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks uh, and see what they, you know, they've got all their uh, the biologists and things there. They might be able to help you out. Uh, get in touch with the the fishing bureau or department or whatever. Absolutely, the fish the fisheries part of mm-hmm. wildlife fisheries and parks. Yeah, yeah. And they they might be able to help you out. Uh, somebody will, I'm sure. Yeah. All right. Thanks for your call. Uh, let's move on. We've got another caller on the line. This time it's Sarah in Madison. Oh, so Sarah, you sent us in the email. Yes, I did. Um, I have an eastern fence lizard in my backyard, and I didn't know if that was common in Mississippi and Madison. 
as as I said earlier, they are fairly common in the right habitat. Now, this I'm confident of this. You find them in dry habitats, uh, and that's often a pine woods. Think about it. pine trees often grow you know, on hillsides or on tops of hills, places that are well-drained. They can grow in wet places, but... Uh, the eastern finch lizard likes dry habitat, and they, they bask on pine trees, on old fences. That's why they're called fence lizards, on uh, uh, piles of, you know, where uh, uh, there's been a clear cut maybe, and the logs have been piled up, and it's, the clear cut was done several years ago, and it's had time to sort of settle in. Things have settled down. You sometimes find uh, eastern fence lizards on the, uh, the debris left from a clear cut. Open areas, yeah, open, sunny, dry areas is where you find the eastern fence lizard. Is it fairly dry in your yard? Or uh, No, especially not this summer, but he's really friendly. It runs up to you every time I go to the garden, and um, I just didn't know if he was maybe somebody's pet. I just sent pictures around, and nobody else had seen any in their yards, and I've lived yeah. in my whole life. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a nice nice fellow to have around. Um uh, but it, remember, when they eat, they will poop. So don't don't be freaked out if you find the. Just put that in your flower pots. Right. right. So it's good. I read it keeps bugs and all the things you don't want in your garden. So I guess it's a good thing. Oh yeah, I would give anything to have those. Uh, that's one lizard I never expect to see in my yard. It's it's kind of wet where I live. All right. Right, and it's, it's wet in my yard too. I just didn't. I've never seen one before. So. Uh, all right, Sarah, thanks for calling in. And, and great uh, picture, by the way. It was very clear. Yes, so very we, good. Good good jo- job snapping a picture of that. And, and again, anytime you see something in your backyard that you're not uh, familiar with and would like for us to identify, uh, we can always try to get it to our network of friends and associates to the program, and we'll see if we can't figure out what it is for you. But again, Sarah, thanks for your uh, phone call. Just a couple of minutes left, uh, Joe. Uh, talk about maybe some of the birds that you've been seeing around this summer. Well, as I mentioned uh, earlier, I saw, this was really neat, I saw a Louisiana water thrush yesterday. Uh, I have the usual suspects every day, cardinals, uh, Carolina chickadees, not mountain chickadees that Libby's seeing out in Oregon, Carolina chickadees, uh, tufted titmice. I've had, uh, this is interesting, for years I've not seen any house finches at my place, and I've been seeing a few recently. And there's an interesting story about those. There's, uh, they're not really native to the eastern United States. They got released by accident. People were selling them illegally in pet stores on Long Island years ago, and word got out that the Fish and Wildlife Service was, was coming to check on things, and they let them go, and they've prospered. And now the eastern birds, the introduced birds, if you will, have met the western birds. But they're kind of nice to have around. You have them here at uh, at, at uh, grounds around at the campus of MPB Studios. I heard some this morning. Um, I think I have determined my favorite bird is a buzzard. I don't know why. but The, uh, the vulture, yeah. Yeah. I think because a couple of reasons. I guess they, you know, they're out there usually getting roadkill, and then they jump out of the way. And so when you drive by, you really can get a really a good view of them. But yes. they're such massive sort just of sort of audacious. Here I am. Yeah, I live on a fairly busy road, and some mornings I wake up and I hear horns blowing repeatedly, and I know what's ha- that. There's a carcass of some kind on the road, and the vultures are going for it, and people are blowing. They don't want to hit them because they can break. It can you know break your windshield, yeah. crack, crack your windshield. So I go out with a shovel, 
and remove the carcass to behind my house where they can eat it in peace. There's some controversy actually now about black vultures. Uh, they will attack newborn calves. And I think uh, Fish and Wildlife Service has given beef cattle uh, uh, growers, people who grow, grow beef cattle, uh, if they t go through the jump through the proper hoops, they can actually take uh, the black vultures. I, I hate to hear that, but because when I try to photograph one, what happens? They fly away. <laughs> if you get close to them, they vanish. This was I grew up on a dairy farm, and we never had a problem with vultures getting the calves that were born outside. But I think I know the reason. With a dairy farm, there's lots of coming and going of people. Sometimes beef cows are there's nobody around for. Two, three days maybe on the end, and that could be a problem when they're calving. And the vultures will, they'll come to that. Hmm. Well, to me, too, though, they do such a good, it's funny, you, you, you go up to them and they seem to always jump out of the way right at the last yes, second. Yes, yeah. Uh, those are probably black vultures. You see, there's two species of vultures in Mississippi, black vultures, which have a black head, and then the turkey vultures, which have a red head as adults. That's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Funding provided in part by listeners like you. To hear today's show or previous show, visit mpbonline.org slash creature comforts. Our show was produced by Java Chapman and our call screener was Liz Gill. So for Dr. Troy Major and our guest Joe McGee, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned because up next, it's AutoCorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.